0: welcome to this week's lecture and the title for this week is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me god the um the subtitle is understanding the mystical dimension of monotheism okay so um, i just want to share with you before i even get into this Uh, This is going to be a very, very interesting class. The teaching that I based it on of the Rebbe of Righteous Memory talks about a lot of deeper Kabbalistic concepts. So my deal with you is that if you just follow along, it will be my job to make sure that regardless of how deep these concepts may sound, they become digestible practical and well understood and that is what I am here to do so let's start as always with a modern day issue so this is the modern day issue that we're going to understand from this class for many there's a struggle between the two worlds we live in Judaism versus secularism spirituality versus physicality our synagogue versus our office and our pursuit of God versus our pursuit of comfort and luxury we reflect upon what the prophet told rebecca the matriarch about her immense pregnancy pains in genesis and i quote to you what the prophet told her in the name of god and the lord said to her two nations are in your womb and two kingdoms will separate from your innards and one kingdom will become mightier than the other kingdom now, upon those words of the verse will become mightier than the other kingdom. Our sages comment, they will not be equal in greatness. When one rises, the other will fall. Now, taking that to a deeper um, level, where he's not talking about the outside world, but the inside world. Each and every one of us is Rebecca. And in our womb, we have the egocentric Asau. And a theocentric Jacob, and we reflect upon these words: They will not be equal in greatness. When one rises, the other will fall. Now, this brings us to have to make a seriously difficult decision as to which we want: this physical world, or the world to come. Not an easy decision. Or is there a truth of truths? which sees things differently altogether this lecture is based primarily on a Mimur mystical teaching the Rebbe of righteous memory delivered on this shabbat in 1969 exploring the three levels of truth okay let's get some introductions here and then we can dive into what these three levels of truth is really all about so in this week's torah portion there is a verse which states, and it lists Six things, six different stages of service to God. Let me quote, and I'll count as I'm quoting. You shall follow the Lord your God, fear Him, keep His commandments, heed His voice, worship Him, and cleave to Him. Okay, so in these six stages, which go from the beginning until to cleave to Him. Now, additionally, the verse is taking us from the lower level to the higher level. As in Kabbalah and Hasidus, there is the emphasis in the difference when the verse speaks of follow God. Like this verse, achrei, follow, behind, in which the literal words of the verse are behind, after God you shall walk. And then Kabbalah points out that there are other verses which states for example in genesis with god telling abraham walk before me or as the verse of king david in psalms i shall walk before god so there's a huge difference when the verse is talking about follow behind god or before god so what we learn out from here is that behind god denotes a lower level in our relationship and service to God. While before God denotes a higher level. Thus the highest level of service in our verse its obviously starting from the lower to the higher. From follow God to cleave to God, cleave to Him. So now we know that cleaving to God is the highest level of the verse. Which is going to lead us to a question. Let's look how our sages define the words cleave to him. How does one cleave to God? So I'm going to share with you, there's different interpretations. I'm going to quote the one from our sages in a medrash called Sifri. So the Sifri says, he defines the commandment, and I quote, Separate yourselves from idolatry and cleave to God. Now the question begs to be asked. We just explained that this is the highest level of service. After the first five levels of service, and that's where you get to? The highest level, the sixth level, after already following God, fearing God, and all the other levels that we read in this verse, we then get to the highest level, which is to separate ourselves from idolatry? That needs to be understood. I'm going to share with you another little bit of Kabbalah on this verse. And that is that there is an interesting mystical teaching that points out that there are 15 words in the verse. And among them, there are five times the letter Vav, which is the Hebrew prefix letter for the word and. So if there's six things, so you have the first one, then it's and, the Vav, second one, and third one. So there's five verbs and there's 15 words. What does this mean on a Kabbalistic level? That's what we need to understand here. So in order to understand that I'm going to just share with you that the number 15 takes us to the first two letters of God's ineffable tetragrammaton, which is the essence name of God. The highest name. Now, so I want to just, so that we can just refer to this name, we're going to be referring to it a lot. So I want to just say that the name in use, we can't actually pronounce it. First of all, we don't even know how to correctly pronounce it. It's the ineffable tetragrammaton. And so we, in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidis, in order to say the name incorrectly, but to know which name we're talking about, we refer to it as Havayah, Havayah. You'll be hearing that a lot today in this lecture. So, in the name Havaya, you have the Yud, the He, the Vav, the He. Now, the Yud numerical value is 10, Hey numerical value is 5, equals 15. Now, what does that teach us? What that teaches us is that in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidism, we clearly find extrapolations of the verses in which the first two letters yud hey is a higher realm of divinity paradigm and consciousness which is separated from the vav hey, the latter two levels which speaks of the lower paradigm by the way parenthetically speaking that is why concerning when it comes to Mashiach coming and we sing this verse at the end of every service, you'll probably recognize it. So here we say in this verse, and then it will be that he will be one and his name will be one. Now the word for it will be is pronounced as Yud Heudhe. And thus Kabbalah says that what does it mean? That when mashiach comes there will be the oneness of his name that the revelation the higher truth that lies in the yud will also be in the Vav and thus will have yud hay yud by yomahu so now we know that these 15 words refer to a higher level of truth a higher paradigm a higher unity things that you're going to hear about and become very clear in in this lecture now what goes on with the five valves so i just shared with you that the second letters vov hey is separated a lower level there seems to be a concealment between the divinity of the first two levels and the last two letters le- levels the letters thus The letter Vav, in the picture of it, is the Yud and the line. Which means its job is to bring down the highest truth of the Yud down to the He. So the last letter He really represents the soul of man, which descends into our egocentric paradigm of reality. And thus it's lacking the higher divinity. The job of the Vav, which is the letter of truth, is to bring down that higher truth into the hay. Now the He is numerical value five. Thus we have the five extra letters Vav in this verse, which is all about taking the divinity of the 15 words, the yud hay, and bringing it down into our physical egocentric minds of being able to absorb and appreciate and acknowledge the higher divinity. This all sounds very Kabbalistic. It will all become so perfectly and beautifully clear. Now, let's go to the next important introduction. That is introducing three levels of truth. Now, the secret of the letter Vav. We spoke about the letter Vav, which is drawing down the truth from the higher yud hey into the lower He. From the theocentric paradigm of divinity into the egocentric paradigm of the last He, which descends into my consciousness, your consciousness, becomes the soul of every human being. Now, To understand this, the secret of the letter Vav is found in the Zohar. The Zohar in volume 3, upon the verse in Joshua, it says, And give me a true sign. That's what he asked for. Now, upon these words in the verse, the Zohar says, This is the letter Vav. Now, I just want to share with you how the Zohar got to this. Because the word for sign in Hebrew is ot. The word for letter in Hebrew is ot. Thus the Zohar reads the verse, not give me a true sign, ot, but rather show me the true letter, ot, which is the valve. Okay, now, to truly fully explore the dimension of truth, we are going to need to explore an interesting teaching concerning jacob now for starters the name jacob is i'm sorry the name jacob oh, i'm sorry i just got caught up in something the name jacob is spelled in four hebrew letters yud ayin kuf vet now when it's spelled this way the kuf has the cholam vowel of O, Ya'kov. Now that vowel is not a letter, it's simply a dot on top of the kuf. However, five times in the verses we find Ya'kov spelled Yud, Ayin, Kuf, Vav, Vet. And then the Vav becomes the written vowel for O Ya-Kov Y another interesting fact the name Eliyahu Elijah the prophet Eliyahu is spelled aleph lamid yud Hey, vav now over here the letter Vav serves as the U vowel U either right, called kubut, Shuruk U Now, there are five times in the verses where this letter Vav is missing and instead we put the three dotted vowel under the hey, so that it says the sound Eliyahu Interesting! Five times Jacob is spelled with an extra Vav and five times Eliyahu is missing the Vav So, Rashi quotes our sages in the verse in the torah where it has an extra vav in yakov and jacob and he says as follows i'm going to read this okay and i will remember my covenant with yakov that's what the verse says then he explains the name yakov is written in full with the extra vav in five places and the name eliyahu is written defectively without the vav in five places why Listen to what our sages say. Jacob took a letter Vav from the name of Elijah, the prophet, as security, collateral, that he, Elijah, will come and herald the redemption of his children, Jacob's children. Now, why would he take a collateral specifically from Elijah? Why not from Moses? Why not from King David? So to understand that i'm going to read to you a verse in the prophets malachi which says as follows the verse says lo behold i will send elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of god thus the prophet tells us that it's elijah's mission to notify us and to herald in the redemption thus jacob went and took the five times the vav away from elijah as collateral that elijah will fulfill his job and herald in the redemption of the children of jacob now once again we're finding this notion five times the letter vav and that is the letter of truth as i quoted to you from the zoha so now we need to understand an amazing question so jacob took the letter of truth from elijah as a promise as a collateral that elijah will come and do his job about heralding in mashiach now we know that the letter of vav we just learned from the Zohar is the letter of truth that means jacob took the letter of truth and brought it into his own being Yaakov spelled with a letter vav. now the Zohar and our sages question an interesting concept the verse says titane emet Lyakov it's a verse right now I'll read to you the whole verse right the Holy one blessed be he who gives the attribute of truth into Jacob, is the explanation of that verse in Micha that says give truth to Jacob. Now, the Zohar is saying that God gives truth to Jacob. Now this in Kabbalah presents a question. Why? Because we are taught clearly that Jacob is the attribute of compassion and that compassion is the attribute of truth. Let me explain this clearly. Abraham represents kindness, kindness is not the appropriate thing for every situation. Thus, out of Abraham came Ishmael. Esau, I'm sorry, Isaac was the attribute of strictness, justice. That is not always the appropriate attribute to use thus from isaac came out esau however jacob is the attribute of comp- of compassion which has within it both kindness and justice strictness and it knows what is the appropriate ratio balance between the two for each appropriate situation thus jacob has 12 different children and he knows how to deal each one of them correctly compassionately and thus all his 12 children become what we call shifte yudke the tribes of god thus compassion is the attribute of truth knowing how to always fit into each different personality now if jacob is the attribute of truth why does Micha the prophet tell us that Titan Emmetliakov Yaakov, that God has to give Jacob the attribute of truth? In other words, why did Jacob have to hijack the letter Vav, the letter of truth from Elijah, when he himself is already the attribute of truth? And thus, from here, to understand this, Kabbalah and Hasidus explain to us that there are three levels of truth. And the three levels of truth is Svat Emet, different interpretations. The word Svat can mean lip, it can mean language, it can mean words of truth. So we're going to just go with language of truth. And you'll see when I quote other books, they refer to it as a lip of truth. It's all the same. Then there's the level of truth, and then there's the level of truth of truths. Now because, I'm going to give you a, a, a heads up of where we're getting to. Because Jacob's truth was the lower levels of truth, thus Micha says, "Titen God gives Jacob then the higher level of truth. And thus Jacob took the Vav because Jacob was the lower truth and thus he took the Vav which is drawing down from the Yud The higher truth. Now let's finally start making sense. What's lower truth? What's higher truth? What is going on here? So, one more introduction. One more introduction and then we'll get into the lecture. Now, this introduction is a very Kabbalistic concept. Please, please, please follow up with me. So, the definition of truth is that it is eternal. A truth that only is the truth in a specific time or a specific place, but not in another time or place is ultimately never truly true. So before I go further and explain this, let's just focus on what we just said. Kindness is truth, but it isn't always the right thing to do. Thus, it's not the ultimate truth. Strictness and justice is truth. But it's not always the appropriate truth. Sometimes justice in a situation is actually the wrong thing to do. It's a time for kindness. Thus, neither kindness, neither nor strictness is ultimate truth. It is truth, but not ultimate truth. Which is why we said that compassion, which always fits in right, always has the right blend, Is truly truth now I just wanted to fall back on what we said now let's take it to the next step what does it mean that truth has to be eternal so in the laws of the red heifer the red cow as is explained in numbers in the procedure of how to use it for purifying so there it says that you take the red cow and after you slaughter it you have the ashes you bring the ashes with two other type of herbs and you put it into living waters and the question on the verse is, what does it mean mayim chayim? Living waters. What's dead waters? And it says as follows. It says that there are waters mechazvin. Now the word mechazvin means deceptive. And over here it's used as to dry up. So in other words, a river, a quote from the, from the Mishnah on the tractic of Para. The Laws of the Red Cow. He defines living waters that it's not deceptive waters. And what does deceptive waters mean? So it defines any body of water, any river, any body of water that dries up even once in seven years is considered deceptive. Meaning, let's get to the mystical dimension of this. Meaning that if it will eventually dry up, even when it's here, it's not truly here. Because from a spiritual perspective, the definition of truth is eternal. Okay, now, we understand that in a world of relativity, there is no truth. Only in the world of the absolute is there truth. What does this mean in Kabbalah and hasidism The verse states, and I'm sharing with you a verse, For I, God, have not changed, and you, the sons of Jacob, have not reached the end. Simply speaking, you look up in the commentaries, God's telling us that I have not changed. Truth is truth. The laws are the laws. And retribution is retribution. And yet nevertheless, you see that I kept my covenant with your forefathers and your matriarchs, that you have not reached your end you guys have made quite a couple of mistakes god's saying but look you haven't reached your end that's the way it's read as a statement comes along kabbalah and Hasidus and reads it as a question a wonder an astonishment and read how i'm going to read it now for i the god have not changed so how is it possible that and you, the sons of Jacob, have not reached the end? What does this mean? The astonishment is as follows. How could it be that God has not changed and that we have not reached our end? Okay, what's the big problem? What's, what's so hard to understand? Let's understand this. God's not having change means that just as God was infinite omnipotent, above time and space and any finite definition of form before the world was created so too is God now after the world was created which means that if we look at it that God has not changed which means that there is no contraction there is no concealment and the soul life the divinity force of it all is still that infinite omnipotent, then the question is that if the children of Jacob are conscious of this, how can their soul simply not experience an overwhelming and uncontrollable yearning and longing and craving to leave its finite state within its finite body and simply return into the bosom of God. The bosom of God. In other words, Think of it this way. If you've ever watched a campfire, fire draws in its sparks. Now, if you think of our souls as sparks and God as the mother flame, and then you think about how in truth there was no contraction, there was no concealment, there isn't just a ray. But that God was one, God is one, and God will always be one. If the spark within us can become conscious of that, then voila, it's out of here. The spark is pulled into the mother flame. And thus we have the question that God's asking. The prophet's saying, how could it be? The fact is that God did not change. God was, is, and always will be. How can it be that when we pray and we study and we do mitzvot and we have this connection with this God never changing how could this spark just not pop out and return into the mother flame Okay so now we understand that the reason why this doesn't happen he's asking a question what's the reason why it doesn't happen is because our consciousness does not feel the eternal truth of God, the having not changed, and therefore do not presently in this world see the essence of God of not change, to which anything and everything is absolutely not. So now we're getting a very interesting concept here. In the truth of truth, God has not changed. And from that perspective, we should all be dying. Why should we be dying? So let me just share with you. At Mount Sinai, when the Jews saw God and heard God say the Ten Commandments, remember they went running to Moses saying, no, 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 we can't deal with this, we're dying. What do you mean they were dying? Because when the spark got so close to the mother flame, the spark kept on leaving. Our sages tell us that God had to consistently re-consist- consistently, re 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 um resurrect i'm sorry resurrect the jews at mount sinai so thus the question is how come that's not happening all the time the same god who spoke to us never changed it is the ultimate divinity everywhere and the answer is because we have the concealment we don't see we're not conscious of the truth of truth we only live with the lower truth And thus we can sustain ourselves and Live as human beings. This is something that we need to understand now in order to really appreciate this I'm going to introduce to you that in the verse I God have not changed he uses the ineffable tetragrammaton name which I told you we're going to simply call Havaya however Creation in Genesis, when it says, and God said, and in the beginning, God created, it always uses the name Elohim. Now, the name Elohim is the only name of God which creates the hugest question of all. For those who know Hebrew grammar, the word Elohim, the two letters at the end, Yud Mem is the suffix for masculine plural plural and thus let's not worry about the masculine now let's talk about how could a name of god have a plural tense if god is one thus we're going to learn that the divinity level of elohim which is also truth but a lower truth is the way the divinity embraces the capacity of creation each on its own level right there's the inanimate there's the plant there's the animal there's the human there's spiritual angels all these different levels of creations and it fits into each one according to its capacity thus there is a plurality thus there's Elohim so now you understand why we don't just short circuit every moment because of the presence of the one and only true God? And the answer is because that's concealed from us and what we live with is the digestible, sustainable, the the one that went through the contraction, the contraction finite ray of light known as Elohim. Okay, now we clearly have this understanding. And by the way, I wanted to share with you That in Jewish law, we actually have to understand the different names of God when we make blessings. We have to know what to think. You have to know what you're saying. So I just want to share with you that when it comes to the name Elohim, the definition, and I quote to you, and when one mentions Elohim, concentrate on that that he is strength, master of wither all, and master of the powers of all. The plurality, of all. It fits in in the capacity of each and every individual creation the way God created. it. Okay, so now what we see here is there's the truth of Avaya, and then there's the truth of, of, I'm sorry, there's the language of truth, there's the truth of Avaya, there's the truth of Elohim, and we're going to learn that the truth of Elohim is the language of truth. The truth of Avaya divides into two truth and truth of truth now we understand that there's three levels of truth there's the essence divinity of havaya that god is everything and everything is god the reality of for i god havaya have not changed and then there's divinity light of elohim which is plural which talks about changes okay now let's start the lecture and really, the majority of it was all what we just explained in the introduction, so that things will flow because now my job is just to make everything practical, tangible, and digestible, and well understood. So we're going to talk about just three things. Number one, the language of truth. Number two, truth and truth of truth. Number three, what exactly did the verse mean when it says cleave to him, and which our sages says means separate yourself from idolatry. Okay. Okay. And now, my friends, let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Language of truth. Okay, let's see where we even got this terminology, language of truth. So it actually comes from King Solomon, in the book of Proverbs. It says over there, a true tongue. Remember, I told you there's different interpretations. Svat, he, that this translator used the word tongue. But it's, the word is Svat, which also means language lip. A true language will be established forever. Tikkun la'at. And then he goes on to say, but falsehood won't. Now, let us for a moment see how this level of truth, the language of truth, Svat emet, is explained in Hasidus. So, in the book of Tanya, chapter 13, he talks about the difference between the language of truth and truth, and what is the truth of the language of truth in relativity to truth itself. Okay? So, I will read to you. This is a quote from Tanya. Now, this quality of love, of which we speak in the case of the intermediate people, just that you know, in Tanya, you have three categories: you have the righteous, the intermediate, and the wicked. Now, which is attained at the time of prayer by virtue of the preponderance of the divine soul, etc., is in comparison with the degree attained by the righteous who serve God in perfect truth, not Of truth and therefore it's not come the intermediate compared to the righteous what we experience in our relationship to God is not called true service at all why well you remember I said before that the definition of truth is eternal so watch since it passes and disappears after prayer and it is written the lip of truth shall be established forever but a lying tongue is but for a moment so therefore, being that the Benini, the average person, doesn't 24-7 feel his love to God or the consciousness of God? When I'm praying, when I'm studying, yeah. But when I'm having a, a hamburger, I'm not, I'm not there. Thus, in a sense, it's not eternal. Thus, it's a lying tongue. Now watch what he says. Nevertheless, okay, in relation to the rank of the intermediate people, it is regarded as absolute, truly perfect service in terms of their level of truth in each man relative to his standing in the ranks of the intermediate. For in their case too, one second, how can it be any form of truth? if The foundation of truth is that it's eternal. And here we're saying that things are are changing. For in this case too, their love during their prayers may be termed the lip of truth shall be established forever since their divine soul has the power to reawaken this kind of love constantly during its preponderance in time of prayer day after day well what are we learning here what we're learning here is that for the righteous people who their level, the holy people, the saintly people, their level of love and their consciousness of God is 24-7. Whether they're praying, whether they're studying, whether they're eating, whatever they're doing, they're consistently conscious of God, their relationship to God, and their love for God. However, you and I, the intermediates, we have it at moments, specifically in prayer when we focus, But then it, so to speak, leaves us. The answer here is, it's not that it leaves us, but rather, when I feel it, it's being revealed. When I'm not feeling it, it's there in the soul, but it's hidden. Thus, it's on the level of potential rather than on the level of actual. But the fact that it is there, at least potentially hidden within the soul, it also has a level of truth. Thus, we now see what the language of truth is. It's the level in which goes through different changes depending on where our consciousness is. While the truth, not the language of truth, truth itself is always there. It, It isn't subject to what environment I'm in or what I'm experiencing at the moment. Okay, let's go on. We now understand that this is the language of truth level of Elohim. Let's understand this on the reality of experience level, as well as on a service to God level. We explained earlier how the finite world of concealment is vivified and sustained through the divinity light of Elohim. It cannot, it cannot connect with the level of Havaya. right? That's what we said. Then everything would just pop out and return back into the mother flame. So the connection of the creation with God is through the divinity light of Elohim. What this means practically is that for there exists freedom of choice to live in a misperception about God's existence. So therefore, the divinity, the truth, the divinity within creation Is hidden I shared with you once previously on this platform that according to Kabbalah the interpretation of an atheist is a piece of God telling God that God doesn't exist now how is this possible this is possible because of the concealment of God even within that piece of God the creation now Here's something very interesting. Our sages tell us that when Moses was on Mount Sinai documenting the Torah, so over there, when he came up to that verse in Genesis where God said, let us make mankind in our image and likeness, and Moses says, God, why are you using the plural? Let us. You're you're allowing for the heretics to say, oh, you see, it's not just one God. So God answered him. Very interesting. Right. Right. And he who wants to err, let him come and err. By the way, off the topic for a moment, just in parentheses, and it's a footnote. um, I just want to share with you, okay, so God says, let them err. But why did God purposely do that? So there's a reason why God wrote the word us. And I want to share with you what our sages say. God said to Moses, if a great person, right? He says, why do I need to take permission, counsel from one lesser than me? So God says, now they'll be able to say to him, learn from your creator. For he created upper ones and lower ones, the angels and the humans. And when he came to create the human, he ruled with the ministering angels. Let us. So there's a reason why God said it. The point I'm trying to make here is, for our exploration, is that when it comes to the creation of the world, in order that there may exist freedom of choice, God has purposely pulled back the infinite light of Havaya, and rather use the concealed light of Elohim. And thus, in creation, we, on a regular basis, like we spoke before by the intermediate, we live on the consciousness of the language of truth, not truth itself. Okay? Now, In service of God what does this mean so we're talking about how God created the world right we speak about that God created the world in a way that there should be freedom of choice freedom of choice demands that we should not be forced to face the consciousness consciously the truth that God is everything and everything is God so therefore God conceals it now what does this mean in how we serve God so we mentioned earlier that it talks about the love relationship with God now Let's understand, in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidism we call the intellects parents, we call the emotions offspring. And the reason is because emotions are born through intellects. When I understand something, and I understand exactly what it is, I will either love it or fear it. Thus, the love and fear of God is the outcome of the intellects the intellectual perception now this type of love is obviously limited to the capacity of the human intellect each according to their own thus from a true perspective this isn't true love because it's only a love as far as I can understand which is a very low level of God On the other hand, let's look at it the other way. On the other hand, it's also considered only the language of God because that which I can understand is only the Elohim level which becomes the soul of the universe. I have absolutely no intellectual perception and appreciation of the infinite Havaya light. How can the human mind ever wrap itself around that? The human mind works on divide and conquer. Define. You can't define that. So how can I ever have a true intellectual perception and understanding of the Havaya infinite in such a level that we're able to give birth to real emotions? Thus the love and fear of the human meditation, concentration, studying is only called Svat Emet the language of truth, the lip of truth, the tongue of truth, because I can never wrap my head around true truth, infinite, omnipotent havayah, And my consciousness is limited in its experience, unlike the Tzaddik. It changes depending on what I'm experiencing right now. So therefore, that's only called language of truth which again is the lower finite ray of divinity as it descends to become a sustainable digestible vivifying soul to creation and contracted from that is the truth of truth that god is everything and everything is god now let's go into the second concept truth and truth of truth The next two levels, Truth and Truth of Truth, are both on the same, on the level of the name of Havaya, not Elohim. Above and beyond the name Elohim. And to understand the difference between Truth and Truth of Truth, if they're both Havaya, then why are there two levels? It should be one level. So for that, we are going to have to do a little bit of a deeper mystical exploration into the name Havaya. What is Havaya? Okay. So... The Torah in Exodus tells us when Moses prayed for God to forgive the Jews, there was a very intimate moment after the Jews were forgiven between Moses and God. God really revealed a deep intimacy to Moses' power of love and leadership in which he told God that if you're not going to forgive them, erase me from your book. And that ignited that self-sacrifice ignited a very intimate moment where God, where Moses actually asked God, "Show me Your face." When Moses asked God, "Promise me that You yourself will lead us," and not an angel, so forth and so on. Now, in this intimacy, there was a huge revelation, which stands by us Jewish people, generation after generation, every year on Yom Kippur, when we want to really make sure that we're connecting with forgiveness we are consistently singing the 13 attributes of mercy. Again, I'll just sing it to you so that maybe you'll recall it from the shul. Hashem, Hashem, kel Vechanon, Right? That's how it goes. Now, if you saw, the verse begins with twice saying the name Havaya, Havayah. Why does it say twice the name Havaya Havaya? From here, and not only that, but tradition tells us to go ahead and put a a pause in between the two. And from this, Kabbalah and Hasidus extrapolate that there are actually two different Havaya names. One is called the Higher Havaya and one is called the Lower Havaya. Havaya de le'elo, and Havaya de le'tato, is the exact language in Kabbalah and Chassidus. Now, in Kabbalah terms, the lower Havaya refers to the light that shines into the vessels, become the life force and divinity of creation. So Elohim becomes the vessels, and Havaya is the light that shines into it. I'm soon going to explain this very clearly. Now, while the higher avaya refers to the essence light, which is above and beyond shining into any vessels or becoming any life force for creation. For it, in, in its infinity, all is not before it, and thus nothing can sustain it. I know it's sounding Kabbalah, hang with me. It's about to get so practical. Let's look at it from the perspective of how it manifests itself within us. So within us, we have what we call the body and the soul. The body and the soul in Kabbalistic language, the body is Elohim and the soul is Havaya. Now let's get a little more detailed. The Medrish tells us that there are five names to the soul. Kabbalah extrapolates from that Midrash that there are five levels to the soul. And of those five levels, there are, it divides into two categories the lower three become the finite linear permeating light of the soul, while the higher two levels become the infinite circular encompassing powers of the soul. Now let's see how that works. What that means is that is the lower levels of the soul, in case you want to know the names, it's Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, those three lower levels of the soul descend into the body, and vivify the body in a healthy, finite manner. However, the higher soul, the higher two levels, which if you want to know the name, it names it's Chaya and Yechida, the higher two levels cannot descend into the body because it will not be able to give in a finite, healthy manner because it is infinite. Now, as a matter of fact, I want to tell you what happens when a Jew connects with his higher levels of the soul. We are taught that at those incredulous moments of self-sacrifice, for example, in the infamous fe, during the infamous Spanish Inquisition, where the Jew had to choose to die as a Jew or to live bowing to the cross. And the Jew had self-sacrifice. And these were not just learned Jews. These were not just religious Jews. That was a line that every Jew knew, no, 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 this I'm not crossing. Where did they get that power of self-sacrifice? And the answer is, according to Kabbalah and Hasidus, when there's a burst forth from the higher soul, which is infinite, in which the body's capacity and physical life is not something of true, true value, and definition, thus, all of a sudden, that soul just says, No way, I'm not living disconnected from God, believing in any other things. And it shouts out Hashem aloke, Hashem and leaves the body. The power of self-sacrifice comes specifically from the higher level of the soul. Which cannot finitely and healthily manifest itself in the egocentric course paradigm and limitations of the physical body. While the lower level could. You and I are right now alive. You and I right now are functioning in a healthy way. We're not going spiritually crazy. And that's because it's the lower levels of the soul which is sustainable and digestible. Now... Let's now give a look into how different paradigms come forth from the two different levels of Havaya, the higher Havaya, which is the truth of truth, and the lower Havaya, which is truth. And again, let's return for a moment to the body-soul relationship so that we can wrap our heads around this very mystical concept of how God creates and vivifies creation let's start with the lower havaia the lower category of the soul which vivifies the body even though the soul is infinitely separate from any physical and finite property of the body it's a soul nevertheless the mere fact that it can and does vivify the body means that the lowest soul level does acknowledge the existence of a body as an identity of its own ...with its coarse egocentric paradigm... ...and its finite spiritual senses... ...emotions and intellects. Only that... ...the lower soul, even though it does acknowledge... ...that there is something called a body... ...but... ...it understands... ...that the entire existence... ...of the physical body... ...depends upon it consistently... ...being vivified by the soul. So it is a something... But it cannot exist on its own. Now let us return to the realm of creator and creation in regards to all of the realms of the universe physical and spiritual. The lower Havaya is the light within the vessels which vivifies the ten emanations so to speak which is the ten emanations that then become the ten utterances in Genesis and God said let there be of all creation as documented in the opening of genesis that means that ultimately the lower havaya the light within the vessels are the lower soul levels that vivifies all of creations because this is the light that becomes the ten emanations which becomes the ten utterances which becomes the soul and vivification of all of creation in the universe now the paradigm of the lower Havaya is called in Kabbalah and Hasidus lower unity Why? Why? In which there is a dualism acknowledge What's the dualism? It acknowledges that there is a creator there is a creation only that it acknowledges with absolute certainty that the entire existence of creation is Dependent on the lower Havai is consistently vivifying it again, it exists, creation, but its existence is dependent upon consistently being brought into existence and vivified by divinity. Now, one more piece to get this really clear this is mystically known as the paradigm from a verse in Deuteronomy, En Od Milvado. There is nothing else besides him. Now, watch what Kabbalah does to this verse. Being that the verse adds on the word milvado, besides him, rather than just saying, Enod, there's nothing else. Period. From here, Kabbalah extrapolates that this is the lower unity in which there is a dualism, only that the second existence, creation, has no existence without mil vado besides him there is no existence what do we extrapolate here that with him in other words when creator is the creation there is a dualism there is creator and creation so the unity level here is that i am i but i acknowledge that i am non-existence without god bringing me into existence but the fact is that God chose to bring me in existence, so now there's I. There's I and there's He. This Creator, this creation. That's the lower unity. Let's go quickly into the higher unity. The higher category of the soul which remains above and does not descend into the body, for that it does not identify the body as any identity of its own, nor does it acknowledge any existence of an egocentric paradigm. With finite capacities, living outside the existence, the only existence and paradigm, which is God himself. Only that God conceals this higher soul levels from revealing itself within the body, but keeps it as a distance, all-encompassing crown. It's there, but it's in a distance. It's not on my ram. It's not on my accessible consciousness. It's in the hard drive, distantly away. Now, that keeps the distance in order that the body would not die from a revelation that it could not digest and a perception it could not sustain. This is what we explained earlier. Remember that verse? For I, God, have not changed and you, the sons of Jacob, have not reached the end. Meaning that if the higher Havaya, the higher level of the souls, was revealed in which everything is absolutely naught, there's only God, God is everything and everything is God, then we would reach our end of existence. We would pop out of ourselves and return into the bosom of God and be but within the oneness of God's existence. That's the higher level's perception which in order that we should be able to live God hides from us, but gives us as a infinite crown above us to be accessed in specific times. As I said before, a moment of self-sacrifice. Now let us return again to the realm of creator and creation, not soul and body. It's the same thing. In regards to all of the realms of the universe, physical and spiritual. The higher avaya is the essence light, which cannot descend into the vessels for why for from its perspective an infinite divinity all these finite forms of the ten emanations are all absolutely naught. all these finite forms is like the candle in the sun or even the ray of the sun within the sun itself it's totally naught. it's gone which in turn means that the ten utterances of all creation are all absolutely naught. This means that ultimately the higher Havaya, the essence light, are the higher soul levels of the universe, which within it exists nothing, no creations, but only God. Thus, the paradigm of the higher Havaya is called in Kabbalah Chasidis higher unity, in which there is only God and all else is absolutely naught, in which everything is God, and God is everything, there's nothing else. Now, this is mystically known as the paradigm of another verse in Deuteronomy, where it says only in Od, there is nothing else, in which the verse removes the word Milvado besides him, because this is the higher unity In which there is but he alone. In which everything is absolutely naught, And because everything is God. And God is everything. So there's nothing else. Thus we have the two paradigms of truth and truth of truth. The truth says that there's God, there's me, but I wouldn't exist if not for God. But God shows that I exist, so the fact is that there's a dualism. Creator, creation. And from there comes the entire egocentric paradigm of, of freedom of choice that I can really choose to tell God, no. Then there's the higher Havaya, the truth of truth, which sees that God is everything and everything is God. Ultimately, there was no contraction on God. And thus, from that perspective, God is everything and everything is God. Remember, God didn't go shopping in Home Depot to build a world. world. He didn't buy materials. The materials of the world is God. And God is everything and everything is God. A total different perspective. And odd. There's nothing. There's nothing else. There's just God. Now, let's go into the final point, and then we can wrap it up. So now, let's return back to the verse cleave to him. With this, we can now understand, we can return to our opening verse and explain the dynamic that after we fulfill the first five steps of the verse, right? you shall follow the Lord, your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and heed his voice, and worship him. In other words, we work through the lower unity. We work through the lower Havaya. Only then can we fulfill the next step of and cleave to Him, which the Sifri said means separate yourself from idolatry and cleave to God. Really? Only after we finish the lower, we totally digest and become the lower unity, the lower Havaya only then can we truly not be idol worshippers what does that mean also we'll be able to understand now why jacob who's the attribute of truth needed to take the letter vav, the letter of truth from elijah let's understand the definition of follow right we said the the verse begins with follow god right in in contrast to before god you shall walk is speaking of the lower hawaiya the level of truth not truth of truth lower unity but not the level of truth of truth higher unity so too jacob who is the patriarch of all jews including the intermediate people not just the righteous people and thus he also has to embrace the lower level of truth and of the lower unity and thus jacob is also the lower level of just truth, not truth of truth. And therefore he had to take the letter V, the higher level of truth of truth, and draw it into his lower level of just truth. Again, let's understand. Okay, so after working the first five services of the verse, to obtain the lower levels of the language of truth and truth, through the first five services of the verse only then can we embrace the higher level of truth of truth through the service of cleave to him which is the service of separate yourself from idolatry why let's appreciate what idolatry means what is the true ultimate true mystical definition of monotheism the ultimate truth of truth Monotheism means that everything is God and God is everything and everything is absolutely naught because the truth of truth is that Ain Od there's nothing else period thus the lower listen to this thus the lower level of truth the lower Havaya paradigm of the lower unity and the Ain Od Milvado there is nothing besides him but with him there is become so to speak idolatry thus only at this stage of the verse where we can embrace the cleave to him the higher havaya paradigm of higher unity are we first able to fulfill in its highest level the separate yourselves from idolatry and cleave to god not separate yourself from idolatry that you don't believe in buddha and then and, and, and no The higher level of separation of idolatry means that I don't see dualism. I don't see creator and creation. But rather I see Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. There is nothing but God. And everything I see is just an expression and a piece of that one and only God. Now in closing in closing we can now revisit our paradigm of being spiritual if we can live the spiritual life of the lower unity simply acknowledging let's be practical now that we have an egocentric paradigm which needs to be curved in which we i want to quote the teaching of our sages and ethics of our fathers make his will should be your will nullify your will before his will that's the lower paradigm i have a will it's egocentric it's driven on the me 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 me, me, and thus i need to know that the lower the lower unity is i acknowledge myself i acknowledge my will and i acknowledge that my will has to be curbed. then when we do that we can we, we then we become in a position to embrace the higher unity in which physical abundance is no hindrance at all to our spirituality why for we now embrace that everything is god and god is everything and anything other than serving and cleaving to god is absolutely naught. so my abundance of physical wealth power fame none of it is going to get in the way between god and me and me and God, because I would then understand at that level that all of this exists only for me to serve God in greater measure. Wow. People, thank you.